Scott M. Paul is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. They're a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. Over the past years, Scott and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters and for our national leaders, and they've done it through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back on the program, Scott and Paul. Hey, Scott, happy Thursday. Thank you for joining us this afternoon and uh, being back on the show. We love having you. Leslie, it's always great to be with you. And always great to have you on. You know, I have to say that I know I've learned a lot from having you on about uh, deals and, and, and about currency manipulation and so many other issues. And I know that our listeners have as well. I know this from not just calls, but tweets when you're on and even when you're not here long after you're gone. Um, China, the president says, is putting out feelers on joining the trade deal so that people understand. Of course, we're talking about the TPP, the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership. Um, China now is weighing in membership in the TPP. Talk to us about this, where China was in in its stance regarding TPP and and where it is now and why it is weighing membership, weighing in membership on this. And maybe the United States should be doing some weighing in itself. Leslie, it's a really good point. And, you know, the trade debate is, is, I'll admit, not the easiest one to follow because there's a lot of terms banding around it. It seems like you know, the average listener, there's not a whole lot they can do it besides check in with their, their member of Congress and say they have concerns about it. But but undoubtedly, and over the last couple of weeks, if people have been tuning into politics and policy at all, they've probably heard the president talk about the trade agreement. And, and he's cast this proposed free trade agreement called the Trans-Pacific Partnership um, as as a basically as a hedge against China. That is, let's write the rules of trade in Asia uh, so that China's not writing the rules. And all, all the indications were um, that this, this block, this economic block, uh, would serve as kind of a counterbalance, an economic counterbalance to China. It, now, just yesterday, the president says that uh, China may join. Yeah, and, and that raises all sorts of other concerns. I, I mean, let me let me give you one example, Leslie. A a, a key part of the Senate debate, and the, and the Senate narrowly passed the, uh, the 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 bill that would allow the president to uh, negotiate the agreement and submit it to Congress and not have it changed. Uh, a, a key issue was currency manipulation. That's one that we have talked about before many times, and. One of the arguments against doing anything about currency manipulation was that, well, China's the biggest problem on currency manipulation. They're not going to be a part of this agreement. All of a sudden, fast forward a couple of weeks to yesterday, and there's a possibility that China may be part of the agreement. So naturally, I'm looking at this and saying, well, I think that would probably have altered the Senate debate a little bit. I think members, uh, senators would have a, a different set of concerns about China going, and it's, it's just a different scale of economy. It's a different type of economy, and as we both know, it's, it's not a democratic place, and, and China has uh, not always lived up to the commitments that it has made. On, on trade agreements, and as uh, your friend and mine, Leo Girard, uh, is, is, is able to point out, uh, the fact that China doesn't hold its end of the bargain up 
uh, has meant that we've, in some cases, lost a lot of jobs here. Uh, and I think it would have altered the debate, and it may well alter the debate, alter the debate as the House of Representatives takes up uh, the legislation uh, sometime, uh, possibly uh, next week, uh, but, but certainly this month. Do, do you feel that if uh, China joins – that this makes the deal even worse than it already is, um, even though the president has said that the deal is going to help provide a check on China, uh, whether they join or not. Uh, so obviously China, you know, I don't think China's you know, going to want that, quote, uh, check on them. But why would China even be part of a deal that has such a check on them, which I think China considering uh, to be a part of this uh, just helps those of us who are telling the president this is not a good deal, because who would sign on if a microscope is on them unless that microscope isn't very magnified? Yeah, yeah and Leslie, you have pointed out the inherent flaw in, in the president's argument, which is, on the one hand, this agreement is designed for, you know, American-style rules to be written rather than uh, rules how China would the government of China would write them. So, yeah, why why in the world would then China kind of agree? To do that, if they perceive there's some uh, benefit to it uh, for for the United States at the expense of China, China would never do that. Um, which says to me that uh, the rules aren't as stringent as the president has laid them out to be. That's the first thing. And second thing is that this whole idea that uh, the the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is some you know, part of a geopolitical chess game in Asia, it kind of just falls flat. And the, the core arguments that some of the critics are making about it, uh, like Elizabeth Warren with regard to both the secrecy of it and the fact that it gives corporations extraordinary rights to sue to change the laws in foreign countries as opposed to individuals who don't have that kind of a right and it's an extrajudicial Kind of process. Those arguments seem seem to me to make more sense then. Um, and I I think that this is this. I don't know if it's going to alter the debate or not because I think a lot of a, a lot of folks have, have have made up their mind. Uh, but it may, Leslie. It may it it, it may tip the scales uh, uh, when the House of Representatives takes. We're going to take a break and we'll come back. Uh, you want to join us? 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Want you to give us a buzz at that number, 888-6-LESLIE, and let us know how you feel about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP. Obviously, there's been significant pressure from the president's own party, Democrats like myself, to abandon this because this does not create jobs for us. It does not offset the deficit that we have with import-export, with trade specifically, that hurts American workers, American manufacturing, and gets us crappy things. My son is seven years old, and he picks things up, and he goes, made in China, Mom. <laughs> Seriously. He's like, why is it made in China? Seven years old, asking me this question. It's a good question, and America should be able to tell our children a different answer. The TPP is not going to change that stamp on the bottom of our teacups or on the tags on our T-shirts. We'll be back after this. I want to hear from you. Do you think China considering to be a part of the TPP just shows further it's not a good deal for us. It's a good deal for the Asia-Pacific region. We'll be back right after this. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Follow our guest, Scott Paul, at Scott Paul AAM. 
the website to check them out is AmericanManufacturing.org. Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, is our guest, is back on the program. And we're talking about the uh, government of China and the nation of China putting out feelers on joining this uh, trade deal. Uh, Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. So many questions, one of which I have is something somebody asked me, and I, I didn't really have a good answer, and I know that you'll have a far better answer than I. How can countries so different politically enter into trade deals? I mean, even though Japan and the United States have a different form of government, certainly Japan and the United States aren't that far apart when we're a democracy operating as a republic. Um, And when you look at China, I mean, this is an entirely communist uh, government. Uh, You know, there was a time in our own country under McCarthyism, you know, it was almost like, you know, 666 on your forehead if you even, you know, uttered the uh, C C word. Um, We are a capitalistic country. And, you know, like you say, you're all about, you know, free trade. But this is a bad deal. And we'll get to that. Um, But talk to us about how the United States can enter into trade deals with governments that are completely uh, opposite um, of of the way that, you know, we run things with a democracy and then being a communist government, because that does play into business. And it certainly plays into how people are treated in the labor force. You know, Leslie, it, it sure does. I, that, that's a really good point. And I think one of the critical things to look at is what sort of rights and opportunities are afforded to not only businesses, but the workers uh, in all of the potential Trans-Pacific part- Partnership partners. And we, we know what it is in the United States, obviously. We know what it is in Canada. We know Mexico, Japan, you know, we, we, it's, a, it's a pretty high standard uh, country when it comes to, to, to labor rights. Um, I, I have quarrels with their government's economic policies, but, but that's, a, that's a different story. But then you look at uh, workers and how they're treated in countries like uh, Vietnam, where there are no independent unions that aren't controlled by the Communist Party that runs the government. Citizens don't have a right or an opportunity to potentially replace their government in a, in a democratic way. Uh, you look at Brunei, which is a uh, essentially a monarchical dictatorship or sultan uh, sultancy. I'm not sure what the right word is. I think but... it's called, I, I, honestly, I, I really know this, but I, the reason I know this is my husband almost had to go there in business, and it's called, I think, uh, the Sultanate. Sultanate. The Sultanate, yes. The Sultanate so, of Oman. So, yeah, because there's a Sultan and there's the Sultanate of Oman, yeah. That's right. And so in, in, in Brunei specifically, there are, there is widespread sanctioned discrimination. In fact, it's criminal. Uh, to uh, for uh, for for uh, gays and lesbians and just th- their presence, not not only hostility to gay marriage, and so it is a so you question and you wonder, and this is I, I often wonder this. So, is international trade or these trade agreements are they so important that these other issues don't matter? And you know, to to some. Corporations, where the goal is to simply you know, do do the best to uh, make, make a return on the investment of their shareholders, 
they, they they may care about their image somewhat, but but it's probably not a central concern to them. These concerns, but I think to uh, to lawmakers who have to balance all of these issues, uh, it should be. And I don't think that trade matters more than human rights. In fact, I don't think that we'll ever have equitable trade or a sustainable economy unless there is more widespread adoption of human rights and high-road worker standards for workers so that workers can share in the benefits of increased economic activity. And it's a debate that we've had constantly in this country about trade agreements, and I honestly don't think that we have made a lot of progress. Even though the president says that this agreement is a high-standard agreement, I'm not sure that it is all that much different from an agreement like the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, that was negotiated more than 20 years ago. When we look at that, you know, human rights, I mean, people talk about North Korea, even Cuba, uh, you know, most recently, and of course, Saudi Arabia, there's other countries. So, you know, it just it, it just amazes me. Let's talk about the TPP, and let's talk about the pressure that the president continues to receive, rightly so, um, I believe, as a Democrat, uh, from his fellow Dems to abandon this deal. Um, Do you find this unprecedented that a president with regard to an international trade deal that strongly can affect an economy and certainly employment of of Americans um, and, you know, import and export and doesn't solve the problems that we already have existing in those areas? Um, Is this unprecedented that a president almost uh, completely ignores uh, this? And by the way, it's not just Democrats saying this isn't a good deal. Some Republicans as well. Leslie, that's a really good question, and I'll I'll, I'll do this uh, quickly because I, I know we're approaching um, a break soon. But you know, when when NAFTA was debated, Bill Clinton was the president. There were Democratic Congress, um, and there was a similar debate, but there was much deeper division because America had not had an experience with the free trade agreement before, and so it ended up that a hundred congressional Democrats supported the president, and and 144, I think, opposed him. And so it was, you know, so there was a there was, there was a division in the Democratic Party. You fast forward today, and and the central the the Central American Free Trade Agreement, uh, CAFTA, which was passed uh, nearly ten years ago, there were there were, I think, about fifteen Democrats that supported it out of the huge number. And so you saw support for free trade just erode. And so that is what I think is unusual: is that the president seems to be unaware of the direction the party has, has moved on this. But, but he, I know he's not unaware because he was a part of that movement. I mean, he expressed concerns about these kinds of policies back when he was a senator and when he was running for president in 2007. We have on the record. Uh, he's obviously had a change of heart, and it's not that the party has moved away from him. He has moved away from the party. Uh, well, you know, we're going to be uh, taking a break in a moment, but I – I want to talk um, – uh, we, we have so many things and so much regarding time. Do you think that a good thing, if you're going to make lemons out of lemonade, at least with this, is that more Americans, Scott, are aware of what is fast track? Um, you know, what is uh, the TPP? What is a trade deal? What's a good trade deal? What's a bad trade deal? And that, that sort of information that maybe was not top of mind for every American. They weren't as knowledgeable on it as they perhaps are now. I think that's a really good point. And people generally like the idea of economic openness, free trade. If you, I mean, there's a split, but people like the, oper- like the idea. They don't like the effects. They think the effects have been terrible. 
uh, of these agreements on, on wages and on on jobs in the United States of America, and that's Democrats and Republicans. And, and what I think they don't like in particular about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and this is a relatively new development, uh, is that I think they understand that, that the negotiations are secret, that yeah. there's not a lot of public access to them, and, and that's deeply troubling that the lawmakers who they're asking to do xyz would have it so private hold on scott hold on scott we come back we'll talk about that lack of transparency on this issue scott thank you for holding welcome back we were talking about the transparency or lack thereof regarding uh the tpp um a couple of things uh, with regard to that one is that I, i think combined with the fact that americans are extremely sensitive regarding the nsa um, and how they feel like the government is, you know, spying on us and that there's just so much secrecy and so many things done behind our back without our knowledge, ETC. I, I think that that plays into um, the heightened sensitivity with regard to the issue of transparency or lack of with the TPP. Um, uh, do you agree with that or not? And is this typical in an in, in international trade treaty for this to be um, so transparent and to have that barrier that we've seen, you know, the, the photo of that press have taken, you know, the, the barrier, almost like you're going to confession, you know, and then behind that, you know, closed doors to go into like the banquet room of God, if you will. Um, so first, do you think uh, there is a heightened awareness and emotion uh, and even anger uh, surrounding transparency or, or lack of? And is this unprecedented with regard to international uh, trade or treaties, uh, as this is, and there are two, obviously, TPP and the other, historically? Sure. It, it's a good question. And, and Leslie, I will say that it's not unusual for negotiations to be private. Right? I, mean, I mean, that's generally how they're done <laughs> before you make a public announcement, like if you're you know, negotiating for a job or, or something like that. And so you, you don't expect to have like a live webcam when they're, you know, making their offers back and forth. That that actually probably would make it harder to, to get a deal that, that, that every side could find some benefit in. Uh, but, but I will say this, that you know, both in terms of the members of Congress who are, are, are essentially – uh, providing this authority to negotiate uh, to, to the president, because it is a constitutional prerogative um, the, for Congress to, uh, to, to regulate uh, our international commerce. And so they're basically ceding this authority through fast track to, to the president. Th- th- they should, at the very least, have uh, full access to be able to have their advisors have full access uh, to be able to have some conversation about it uh, and, and not be treated as a as a criminal. I mean, because that's, you know, even members of Congress who do take the time to go to behind the closed doors, uh, you know, or, you know, basically have a hall monitor with them, and they can take notes in pencil, uh, but then they have to turn the notes over to the USTR. They aren't even allowed to keep them. And, and then they can't tell anybody. What, what, the, what they saw or what they read, if they, if, they had, if they had any specific questions about it. I will say this, this differs. Uh, a good friend of mine is a, is a cleared advisor, and he actually wrote about this in political, political Magazine, that when the North American Free Trade Agreement was being considered, he was able to at least have a draft copy you know, at his desk in a vault that he could pull out and consult when he needed to, to, to examine it and see whether what they were saying made sense or, or jive, which was which was what in the text. So 
members of Congress don't have that opportunity, and that seems to me to be to be a real challenge. And then the second piece of this, Leslie, is that the president is basically saying, "Trust me, you know, I've been with you on all this stuff. I, I'm going to do right." By I'll you. read it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of years ago when the Catholic Church, no offense if you're Catholic, but when the Catholic Church said, I understand, um, you know, that, you know, the Bible's in Latin, but we'll read it and tell you what it said. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It's in a language you don't understand, but trust us, you need to give us your mind, yeah, et cetera, right. So, so that, that, that's essentially the trade-off that they're asking for. And I actually think that, you know, increased transparency could help make the administration's case for it if, if they if they if the deal is as good as they're saying it is uh, they ought to certainly release uh, far more details to the public they have and not just say well members of congress will have the opportunity to review it for 60 days right before before they vote yeah but, but by that point in time it is impossible to make changes if there is a problem it's impossible to suggest changes that could be acted upon. And, and that's the dilemma here, is that why not get the buy-in before? Why not work out the problems uh, beforehand? Uh, and, you know, sunlight is an incredible disinfectant uh, exposure like that. There's actually a, a great um, website that popped up today called readthetpp.com, and it's I'll just say it's hilarious because it's a, it's a spoof. Of, of the USTR site, and it's obviously impossible to read the text, but um, it, but it, it proves the point, and this is something that that Elizabeth Warren uh, and, and, and my my colleague and others have pointed out that if this is such a great deal, um, let, let's let's have a look at it. Let's take some calls. Eight 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 six Leslie. Eight 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 six five three seven five four three. Bart's in Washington, line five. Bart, good afternoon. Welcome. Question or comment for Scott Paul from the AAM. Uh, Bart? <laughs> thank you for taking my call. I oh, well, thank you for joining show. us, Bart. Good afternoon. Uh, question or comment? Yeah. I'm the precinct committee officer for the Democrat Party here where I live, and I can tell you what the buzz on the streets is here. Um, number one, uh, are we correct in assuming that much of the Republican Party is for this TPP? Scott? It, it's a good question. Not every Republican is, but overwhelmingly. And I think there are around in the House of Representatives, you know, around 245, 250 Republican members. Uh, and I think they expect probably about somewhere between uh, 40 and 50 uh, of those members to oppose it and the rest to support it. Uh, and, and some of that, right. that and, and Republicans have. That, is, that brings me to my point where, where I've yeah. got a lot of people here in my precinct freaking out. Since when has the Republican Party been for anything that's good for the American worker? Name me the decade. And then uh, next I would say, I mean, I am a supporter of Barack Obama. I campaigned for him, both of his. But this has got me floored. I am blown away by the lack of transparency here. Um, it's so bad that Wikipedia is offering a $100,000 reward to any members of the six. Hundred corporations that are part of these negotiations to just leak some information. And uh, some information has already come out that says out of, I think it's 29 chapters is what this thing is. Only three of them have anything to do with trade agreement whatsoever. But all the research I'm doing, all I keep seeing is a bunch of one-liners. You know, oh, it's going to make American jobs great. Oh, this, oh, that. 
And my question is, how? How how are you going to keep from sending jobs to Vietnam for 56 cents an hour? And I, I want the president to address this. And that's what everybody in my precinct is asking. And, and they're fair questions. Bart, thank you for your call and your questions. Scott, that is the concern. Those are questions. And the deal does not do anything to assuage those fears of Bart and his fellow Democrats or fellow people and neighbors and voters there in Washington. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the, the, the really fundamental flaws with what, what, what the president is saying. The most progressive trade agreement in, in history. Yeah. How in the world is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce you know, behind the most progressive trade agreement in history? How, how is the majority of these Republicans who have opposed him on health care, on worker protections, on environmental protections, how are they supporting the most progressive trade agreement in history? It just, you know, you, you can tell where someone is by the, by the friends they keep. And it is, and on this one, it just doesn't add up. And the other point, I think this is a very good one, is that look, you're changing. If you're changing tariff rules, that's a pretty simple thing to do. You know, that's just like basically a table, and it's numbers. And then you look at how you enforce that. But but the caller is right in saying that a large part of this agreement has more to do with protecting the investments and the rights of uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, to, to keep generics out of the mar- market and, and, uh, and, and, and recoup a lot of money uh, and make a huge profit. Uh, it's about the rights of, of corporations to, uh, outside of the legislative or the judicial process, to, to essentially force changes in national laws or seek compensation. And that's not a trade agreement. Come on. That, 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 that's, uh, that's investment. That's uh, guaranteeing multinational corporate rights. Uh, and I think this is someone who, you know, works with both labor and businesses, but the businesses uh, who, uh, who are associated with, uh, with the steelworkers on this are very committed to domestic production in the United States of America and want to make sure that the rules are fair for everybody. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, somebody had emailed me something, but it was pages and pages long. And he, he agrees with you, and he basically you know, points not just to NAFTA, but he also points to what happened with the banks uh, and Wall Street in 08 and you know, ties it all in together. But it's very lengthy. And Bill, who sent that to us from Santa Fe, thank you for that. I did get it, and I responded. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. And I was mistaken. Talk Radio News Service isn't going to be joining us, which is great. That means Scott will be with us the whole hour and for one more segment. And that means that you... You can join us here at 8886 Leslie, 8886537543. Weigh in on TPP, weigh in on Fast Track, and weigh in on China now, considering to possibly get in the game on this treaty. We want to hear from you, whether you agree or disagree, or if you have questions that I have opposed to our guest, Scott, that's who he's here for you because this is your show. 8886 Leslie to ask questions. In addition, follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall and follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Check out their website, AmericanManufacturing.org, and follow him on Twitter, at Scott Paul, A-A-M. And Scott and Paul, very easy. Very easy to spell. I have to spell that one out. Lucky you. <laughs> um, so many other issues to talk about. We talked about China, but let's move uh, on. Um, 
We have uh, certainly talked about the partnership between the AAM and the United Steel Workers. And U.S. Steel's Granite City Works got a reprieve when the company reversed shutdown plans. An anti-steel dumping measure, that was by Congressman Mike Bost, who is a Republican from Murfreesboro, and, and that's in the St. Louis area, and other legislators from that area, um, got a lot of support. Uh, especially uh, from, you know, the steel industry, and obviously that support came uh, for their positions in Congress. Uh, Talk to us about the Trade Enforcement Effectiveness Act. And, uh, I mean, you know, we know the co-sponsors include uh, Congressman Rodney Davis, a Republican, and John Shimkus, another Republican. Talk to us about the Trade Enforcement Effectiveness uh, Act, co-sponsored by two Republicans. Yeah, it's a good question. It actually shows that there are, there is at least some bipartisan recognition that manufacturing is important and, and that our trade policy doesn't adequately but, uh, protect it right, in the right way while we're in a, in a globally competitive market and we trade. Uh, but if there, are, if, there, if there is cheating going on by other countries, that, that there's not enough that our, our businesses and our workers can do about it. So uh, I, I think about it uh, this way, that you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to be on economic life support uh, to get attention uh, from, from from the government. Uh, but but unfortunately, that's what happens uh, now. Like in the steel industry, if they're facing uh, unfair trade practices from China, uh, essentially before they can uh, petition the government for help, there have to be mass layoffs. Uh, the company has to be uh, really in, in dire straits, um, and that's not a good position to be in. And especially, uh, and it's a lot harder to come back uh, if you're if you're flat on your back, uh, rather than if you're able to intervene earlier. You know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's it's, it's kind of bad adage. So. There are oftentimes signals that these unfair trade practices are going to cause problems, and. Uh, the, this change in law, which we strongly support uh, as well, would make it easier for the companies, for the steelworkers union, uh, to file trade cases uh, before there are these mass layoffs, like they're they're potentially were in Granite City, um, uh, Illinois, uh, at, at the steel mill that would have that would devastate this town. And I've been there a couple of ta- uh, times, and the you can even see it. Leslie, as you're flying into the St. Louis airport, uh, the, the U.S. steel facility just dominates the landscape, and, and everything, you know, the whole community is kind of built up around it. The, the main street where there's restaurants, or, you know, the, the people who commute to work, I mean, the whole town's livelihood depends on this, and it just does not make sense that you have to nearly drive this town into the ground before you can even ask our government to intervene and put a stop to the cheating. So, so this bill would, would change it. They're trying to persuade uh, the leaders in Congress to get it done. I think there's a decent shot, uh, because e- even the, the whole free trade crowd understands that uh, this is not something that is fair uh, to anybody at all, Leslie. Well, you know, what I what I like about this legislation is, is, you know, you want to give certain people or certain departments more power. 
in, in, in certain areas like this. I want the Commerce Department to have more power. I want them to be able to respond when foreign governments are uncooperative or when foreign prices or cost of steel have been distorted uh, because that does affect American jobs. And that affects uh, decisions that are made that can, you know, result in many hundreds, thousands of Americans losing their jobs. Um, so I, I think it's essential that our Commerce Department be able to do that. And you don't need to have a TPP in place in order to. Well, well that's also absolutely true. I mean, these, these changes should have been made uh, 20 years ago uh, in the law, but they've been they've been sitting out there. Um, and. It is, as someone who's seen the ups and downs of manufacturing, spent a lot of time in these communities when they're very distressed, uh, it's just not right. I mean, they're productive workers, they're smart companies, uh, they, they can sell in the U.S. market, but if, if China is just flooding the market uh, with, with their products and it's not, and the price isn't based on any sort of market-based price, uh, it's going to it's going to drive these guys out of business, and they deserve the opportunity to compete. Those workers deserve the opportunity to work, uh, and again, they they do have to face global competition, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but we should have the tools at least to make sure that we're not going to be driven into the ground by unfair trade practices. Let's uh, speaking of unfair trade practices, uh, go back to not TPP necessarily, although it, it does tie in. But you know, China, uh, and let's talk about China. There was a time where China's economy, just like ours, uh, was roaring ahead. As a matter of fact, um, you know, we looked at uh, China as an economy that was just, you know, it was on steroids, if you will. China's growth has weakened. In China, prices have, have to, had to be cut by business owners there, much like here and other places throughout uh, the entire world. But when you look at industrialists, when you look at manufacturing, China once was the world's most reliable source of that growth. And with that weakening, Scott, doesn't China and the deflationary pressures that it feels within its borders, isn't that now and hasn't that had a domino effect worldwide? Well, it, it sure does. And you've pointed out the, the obvious uh, issue here, which is in, in the, you know, in, in most of the rest of the world, uh, the, the ironclad laws of supply and demand. Uh, take effect is that you know you you make as much as consumers or, or of a product as consumers were willing to buy. Otherwise, you're gonna your business is gonna really suffer. But if you're a state-run economy and your business is subsidized by the government, and the goal is to to employ the the hundreds of millions of Chinese workers who uh, they want to keep at the factory rather than protesting on the streets, uh, then you're gonna end up with a whole bunch of stockpiled supply that you can't sell. And unfortunately, a lot of that finds its way to the United States because we have perhaps the most open market in the world, and they can sell it for whatever they want to sell it for because because making, making money is not the goal. And that has an extraordinary impact on our industry, and it's something that economists call overcapacity. There's, there's, there are too many steel mills in the world, and almost all of the excess capacity uh, is in China, and it's precisely because supply and demand uh, are, are not aligned. 
Absolutely. Scott, thank you for being with us. And you always say people have power. People should use their power. Call your House member. Tell them to vote against Fast Track and against the TPP. Congress, give them a buzz. 202-225-3121. All you got to do is give them your zip code and they'll connect you with your House member's office. Do it now. Scott and Paul from the AAM has been our guest. More to come in the next hour. Don't go away.